0: From the dark web to your radio dial, you are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 W-O-A-I. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week uh, by Buddy Smith, and we're going to be talking about Texas's first cybersecurity apprenticeship. So, buddy, thank you for joining us. And uh, how do we end up with our first cybersecurity apprenticeship program with all the cybersecurity stuff we've got going on here?
1: Well, this is really a cybersecurity software program, wherein that we uh, we do teach people how to write software securely. Because, as we all know, if uh, if you don't have secure software, then you're you're dead in the water.
0: Certainly. So. Uh, will you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you you got involved in getting this thing started?
1: Well, uh, my my background is is that uh, I'm I'm an Army intelligence officer, or counterintelligence officer who retired from the services and went to contracting, and uh, moved around between various and companies and uh, found a small company called Ishby, and and Ishby is a uh, is a, is a one-man-owned company, uh, he is uh, a Sioux Indian out of Michigan, so that's not S-O-U-I-X, that's just S-A-U-L-T. Uh, and he, uh, he started this company after he got out of the, uh, out of the Navy. Uh, he was in cybersecurity at the time, and he uh, pushed cybersecurity, We have moved uh, from being a a small company. I joined the company five years ago. We were about 100. Uh, We're up to around 300 now. Uh, You know how the contracting business goes. You go up, you go down, you go up, and you go down. So when we, during during, uh, about three years ago, we bought a company called AIS, uh, a cyber software company, uh, who had a uh, mantra that they guaranteed their software for life, and they developed secure software through a process. And uh, we have been converting that process, converting our uh, systems into being part of that process. And by doing so, uh, I came to understand that there was an education program going on up in Peoria, Illinois. And it, it was to set up the first uh, cohort uh, for software secure software development in in, uh, in in the United States, in actuality, and so we call that success, uh, and that's uh, secure software to develop uh, to develop programs that, that don't have to be can, that can hit the ground running and don't have to be worked on for a year doing software uh, revision and maintenance or, or killing the bugs.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think if we think about all the different engineering disciplines out there, and software engineering is one of the much more new ones. If, if I think of security and software the same way I think about stability in bridges, and uh, it took the civil engineering guys quite a uh, while to figure out all the different things that go wrong with bridges. I think even up till the, the maybe nineteen sixties, the Galloping Gertie bridge out in the West Coast here. I think that was still in the nineteen sixties in the U.S. and with this software engineering um, we've been um, writing software now for about the last 70 years if you go all the way back to the the very beginning of it Uh, so from an engineering perspective it's still a very new discipline so as you're out there in the listening audience going well these software engineers are just a bunch of of kids that don't follow a process or don't do anything else no there's process out there there's um, programs in place uh, like this one that we'll continue to go into more detail about but um, software engineering itself is just a, a very new engineering discipline related to all all of the other types of uh, engineering that we're doing out there. So, um, with this, uh, as I was, uh, we were doing some prep for the show, buddy. I saw that Project Quest got involved on uh, this apprenticeship program here in Texas.
1: Right. We st- I started. A, we started this about uh, eighteen months ago, tra- talking to various and sundry elements. Uh, uh, primarily, we went SAC to the San Antonio College and, and talked to the uh, president of the college, and we, we uh, developed a, a program with him and talked him into developing a secure software program. After we did that, we started looking for students, uh, not for students, but for school uh, companies to be a part of this, because it has to be a company-driven program. And uh, we, I came up with five or six different companies who were willing to join and start off uh we anticipate that there'll be a lot more of those companies, but when I got to looking around, I'm going, there's an awful lot of requirements here that, that uh, we, the companies, don't have time to do. And so I approached a couple of different folks who knew the, the orientation of the city better than I do and uh, came up with recommendations that I, that I approach Quest. And in doing so, I, I think I found a, a diamond that uh, to help because of the fact they not only uh, do they do uh, now are they going to do the management for this program for us as far as the students go the apprentices go but they're also helping the students and the apprentices uh, from the point of view that they have uh, have grants etc that they can use to, to make their lives better while we're doing the school and the training part.
0: Yeah. If you wanted to learn more about Project Quest and and uh, some of the other activities they're working on in the cybersecurity uh, with places like Open Cloud Academy, you can listen to our rebroadcast on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, you can also find us on any podcasting service out there and if you have a podcasting service, you prefer to use uh, where you cannot find our content, look us up on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, let us know what that service is and we will get our content up there and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. So, I mean, yeah, you definitely uh, came across Project Quest. They've got a long history here working uh, with workforce development uh, in the Bear County area and have done an excellent uh, job and, and have started some cyber programs. I'm glad to hear that they're Um, Taking things here kind of to the next level with an apprenticeship program and and moving uh, beyond just the uh, facilitating of the education.
1: Uh, Since we've joined with them, we've also gotten them to be a part of uh, NICE, which is the National uh, uh, Institute, uh, and it's cyber uh, that helps us, uh, that is helping set up programs like this apprenticeship program across the nations, and that's one of the bigger pieces that they're working on. And we just have, uh, right now, we have two programs, one set up in Peoria, Illinois, one which is starting here this month in, uh, uh, in San Antonio through San Antonio College. And we have uh, uh, seven other locations in the, in the states, mostly on the East Coast. Uh, that are becoming a part of the process. It, it takes a while to build the process. If you want to know a little bit about what, how we do the software, the secure software development, we, we have uh, our software programs come basically from Carnegie Mellon University. And we've been in, in alliance with them for several years. And we have uh, uh, a good association with the S- uh, Security Engineering Institute or Software Engineering Institute. At, uh, at Carnegie Mellon. And they have uh, a certain set of programs which they've done a lot of work on that started at, at masters, then at uh, bachelors, and now an apprenticeship program at the associates degree, uh, where that they just describe what they think is the best curriculum for people. So SAC has pretty much ado- identified and uh, adopted that program. And uh, we also are coordinating some uh, Additional training for SAC professors uh, that will be part of this uh, uh, program as as well.
0: You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're discussing a cybersecurity apprenticeship program uh, that began uh, originally uh, up in uh, Peoria, Illinois, and now has uh, become uh, added the second location uh, here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, working with San Antonio College as uh, Texas's first. Cybersecurity apprenticeship program, so and specifically in cybersecurity and secure software development. Uh, So, but buddy, as as you guys were going through to build this program here over the last eighteen months uh, in Texas, where did you find students for the the program?
1: Yeah, that seemed to be pretty easy. Uh, We were we actually were didn't really know where to go or what to do, but we set up a couple of uh, conferences with uh, some professors at SAC. And uh, uh we went into sac and uh, made a couple did a couple of briefings to a couple of computer security or computer programming uh, organizations that were full of students and the first day that we talked uh, nine of the guys uh, swapped their major from whatever it was to the secure security program uh, a programming uh, a curriculum and 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 we've kind of been fluctuating back and forth as as we get this thing started. Uh, we have we've had some stops and some goes and some delays, and uh, now we have uh, gone through the process. and, and There there is a, a true process for uh, selecting uh, students. Uh, they first have to be enrolled at SAC. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is they have to take a uh, uh, even though they may be. In their first year, deep into their first year when they enroll, uh, they have to take a computer aptitude test and to uh, make sure that it is what it is. And then uh, Quest goes through a, a, their process with them, which in details checks and balances and such as that. And then uh, now we're in the process where we're going to be introducing the, our proposed apprentices to uh, the employers, so the employers get a chance to interview them and get to uh, pull them in and, and and hire them, if you will. Uh, and that that's basic. Uh, we've talked. Uh, Quest talks to a lot of uh, veterans and uh, open this. To, we've opened this, of course, to veterans and to uh, the people who. Uh, don't often or think about wanting to program or or maybe have a little bit of experience in programming or have taught themselves to program a little bit and and they don't know where to go or how to get there and uh, we're basically bringing those folks in and explaining to them the difference between somebody who just learned to write java and now they're now they're a programmer and uh, how the process works and and uh, i'm kind of stilted at times i say that in, in the normal world, people will write for X period of time and they think their program's ready and then they turn it over and try to run it under operational circumstances and they discover that it has a lot of bugs so they stop and s- they don't stop. They continue to run the program and fix the bugs as they go until they get to the point where it's, it, it is operational. And if you follow a process that we use, uh, you get to skip that part. Because you've already worked all your bugs out, when you get when you call yourself through, and you just go directly from producing the program to operating the program and doing doing care and maintenance. You still have to do care maintenance and, and updates on it.
0: Yeah, and so for the selection into the program, if you're a if we have students at Stack that are out there listening right now and they go, hey, I want to get into to this program. Um, where do they go uh, to learn more about it?
1: The, the easiest thing is for them to reach out to Qu- uh, Project Quest. And uh, we have uh, three ladies over there who are uh, very heavily involved in this activity. And we uh, that's, that's the easiest thing to do. They can speak with their professors. There's a couple of professors, but I don't. I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not sure that I really need to, to to say you know use their names or whatever because I don't. I don't have that permission. But yeah. there's a couple of professors that are out at, out there that uh, are heavily involved with this program as yeah. well.
0: There you go. Project Quest. Great front door. Go uh, talk to them. Even if you are not enrolled at SAC yet, I would say go talk to Project Quest. Uh, they'll walk you through what you would need to do to get enrolled at SAC. What you would need to do. Uh, after you are enrolled to uh, apply for this program. So they uh, will be a great front door to get you uh, kind of all of that information that you need. So from uh, enrolling in the program, uh, how, how does this apprenticeship work with the schooling and working for the employer? Um, and how, how does that portion of the program kind of run along after a student is, is selected and either into the program by the school and then and then picked by an employer?
1: Well, we start off with the students attending school, and and then we go through the hiring process. Uh, we pick up the uh, apprentices as as employers, as and we, you know, we go through the normal in-processing statements that we would do, and and our way of doing thing, our rules. Each company is separate and different. There is no there's it's no pure or, uh, organization such as that goes. Uh, but uh, we work. We are set up to work, uh, or allow an apprentice, a student, to work for um, between 19, 25 hours a week. And uh, part of that time frame that they are going to uh, are working, it it can be whenever it is that we need to be, as long as the company's company the student works it out. There's no there's no provision for that. The uh, student continues to go to school at the same time. Uh, there are programs. Uh, we our Peoria program was set up as, as blocks, where you worked X number of hours in a, uh, in the company, and then you move when the time was right. You move back to the block of education. But we're doing the I call it commingling the two the two activities together at the same time, and it works. Uh, we think it'll work very well. Uh, most everyone was in favor of that of that activity, working that way. Uh, to give them a little bit of experience in, in writing and then bring them into the company. Now, in addition to uh, when they bring them into the company, uh, we, ISHB, are certified uh, in the SEI uh, program of secure software development. And we have an agreement with the other companies that at part of the time when they're I'm, I'm going to say probably four hours a week. Part of the time when they're working at the other companies, we'll pull them into a either a one one position place or pull them onto the, the web web systems, and we will run some uh, training for them that comes out of SEI that uh, particularly ta- teaches habits, uh, teaches uh, uh, good good habits, vice bad habits. It teaches how to uh, uh, get along, get with the other people, and become and work as a team. And then we do the strict what I call the software security uh, pieces that are produced by SEI. Because at the end of these programs, uh, we have uh, two certs set up. Uh, we have a cert that's called an, it's called an associate cert uh, under ISC Square that's CLSSP, and it uh, allows uh, an individual who's basically brand new in the business to come up with a an associate CLSSP, which is a really high-level cert. The only reason it's an associate is they don't have five years of experience. When they reach the five years of experience, they, they they go over to the straight over to the CLSSP. And SEI also has a certification, and we train the people to work uh, under the SEI curriculum, and then we. And then we go over and, and work hard to ensure they're capable of passing the SEI cert. So when they graduate, they end up with two certs that nobody else has right now. Uh, people, when you walk out of college, you certainly don't have them. No. And and coming out of the military, you certainly don't have them. And those are two of the main places where people come out for uh, uh, for software programming. Yeah.
0: And for those certifications for folks that are are listening and wondering, uh, they're valuable for private sector employers. They're certainly valuable for uh, if you were in the military and then you wanted to continue working after you you transition from enlisted to a contractor. Um, There's many contracts out there that uh, will maybe either recommend or require those certifications for uh, folks so that as you're writing software for our government, it's being written in a safe and secure way.
1: Right, and that's that's uh the, most of us are uh, government contractors at this point in time, but we actually are looking for a couple of companies who are uh, what what we call civilian companies yeah. uh, <laughs> that that uh, are not in the uh, government software business uh, for,
0: so for a, a company, um, to apply. So we've, I'm sure everyone out there right now is going, man, I wish I could hire software developers one. And then if I could get a software developer that actually knew how to write bug free secure software, I really want to hire them. Uh, so where do they go to, to get uh, involved in this apprenticeship program? Uh,
1: most likely the, the best place is, uh, to come to me. Uh, and I, I'm very easily reachable, but, uh, so, uh, people would come. It's best that people would come to uh, come to me, uh, and we'll set them up. They can also go to to Quest and talk with Quest. Quest has, has a direct line and uh, is is perfectly capable of uh, fulfilling, uh, telling, giving them any information they need. And we will. We are. We're very much looking for additional companies because, in fact, uh, while we have a a small cohort starting right now uh we expect that in January we're going to have uh, one that's twice as large and we need uh places for the for the uh employ for the apprentices to be employed
0: so uh for the company what are the asks uh, of them uh what requirements uh are they um, committing to through this process so i mean what I've, i guess i've heard so far you're gonna have a part-time employee for a while while they're in school during this uh, apprenticeship. Um, how long does that last? Um, are there any pay guidelines? How, how does that process that work here um, from a, a training perspective?
1: Okay. Uh, there, is a, there are pay guidelines, first off. Uh, we start uh, right at, at $20, $10 an hour, and over a two-year period, because that's what the apprentice program is, we uh, raise that program uh, raise that salary up to about fifteen dollars, a little over fifteen, and that's where that's where the all the apprentices when they quote, graduate will will be at. Uh, we uh, it's a two thousand hour program, and that's set up by Department of Labor because we are certified uh, by the Department of Labor, and the. Uh, the program is, is uh, called a mixed program because of the fact it's education and it's salary. So it's about half and half, uh, number of hours in school, number of hours uh, in uh, working. And from that perspective, the, the companies are required, because if they hire someone, they're required to keep, uh, keep them and pay them and help them learn and grow. And the benefit is, of course, is that you have somebody to work with for two years to figure out whether or not you think they're a valued employee. Uh, you have a lot of people that uh, uh, can come across and, and be very productive after the first year as opposed to just uh, being employed as an apprentice for two years. Uh, we've, we've had uh, about half of our apprentices uh, that, we, that we brought in who knew nothing or some who knew a lot. That uh, about after the first semester and a half to two semesters, uh, they were being productive and time chargeable, uh, which is is a nice thing to be able to do, you know. Uh, what the other piece to the company is is that uh, we do spend uh, a lot of time teaching the SEI programs, and so there are stipends that uh, to the company that uh, helps cover the the cost of the of the Programs, we by no means are making profit on those <laughs> on those that, teaching that software. Yeah. But uh, we we do charge a, a stipend, and, and uh, right now uh, a stipend for that and for some of the tests and some of the other activities is actually about seventy five hundred dollars. But it is considered to be a one time stipend. Not every cohort, not every piece, but one time when you come in. Because it helps cover the cost, and we're developing uh, ways through grants, we hope, to uh, eradicate that entirely. Yeah. So that, that's where we are right now, though.
0: So, you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and uh, Buddy Smith and I are uh, talking about Texas's first cybersecurity apprenticeship program. Uh, We're going to be taking a break here at the bottom of the hour for news, traffic, and weather update. If you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting service, thank you for doing that, and that break will be instantaneous. If uh, you are not going to be able to stick with us through the break and want to hear what uh, Buddy and I are going to talk about in the second half of the program, this will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, October the 23rd uh, and at the same time it will head out on all of those podcasting services. If you stick with us through that bottom of the hour break, uh, we will be talking some success stories, a little bit about uh, this first uh, class of students that's uh, already in and going and uh, what the goals are uh, for this program uh, headed out into the future. Um, I know Buddy had hinted a little bit that they're hoping to double the size of the the cohort uh, coming into 2019 and We're gonna need some employers here. Uh, So if if you wanna hire software developers capable of writing secure software, uh, stick with us and learn more after this break. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Buddy Smith. He's the vice president of Joint Force Programs at ISHB. Uh, They are a... uh, defense contractor uh, that does secure software development and uh, all sorts of other things that he can't talk about on the air. So we'll just stop with the description of that right about now. Uh, What we can talk about and what we were talking about before that break here at the bottom of the hour uh, was Texas's first cybersecurity apprenticeship program, uh, which uh, Buddy has been instrumental in getting uh, up and running. Uh, We've got uh, kind of the first uh, class of, of graduates coming out, and uh, buddy, so that this first uh, first cohort that you had here um, coming through this, there's uh, six students you were saying in it as we were chatting during that bottom of the hour break.
1: Yeah, there are six students right now that are. Uh, we are. It's really a first enrollment, but of the program, uh, they are scheduled to have a 2,000 hour uh, requirement sitting in front of them, but. Some of these people, uh, the Department of Labor program requires 2,000 hours. Is what it comes down to. Yeah. But some of these people are going to be beyond that level. They're going to be in like their second or third semester of college, in and in a fourth semester uh, associate's degree. They still have to qualify for the number of hours that they work, uh, but they can that can be modified and helped and changed. And there are there exceptions within the program. Where that uh, we can we can catch people up uh, we can we can even if they're willing to slow down a little bit we can slow them down but we can make them fit the program or make the program fit them take your choice uh, and those those people are uh, currently enrolled at SAC uh, currently associated with Quest and uh, they're, we're re- waiting right now just to start the uh, the hiring process with with our uh, companies uh, the the. Four other companies besides Ishpety that's involved here locally are all, uh, in this case, DoD type contractors. Uh, they all require uh, DoD type security clearances at the uh, uh, when people are, are placed onto some of the contracts that they have. And uh, but yet you don't have to have a clearance to work uh, in this program. You uh, can just. Uh, get started there's a possibility that we might be able to start a clearance for individuals Yeah, uh, depending on the situation and the requirements of the company because that's each an individual company requirement.
0: Yeah and, and with uh, SAC being an uh, NSA and DHS certified center of excellence um, I think is a, it's a, overall there through the Alamo colleges they've got some ability to work on that clearance stuff in parallel with uh, your education.
1: Yeah it takes the employers uh, to do that but you're exactly correct. Uh, and, you know, the, the Center of Excellence for Software Security uh, or Secure Software rather is, is what we call ourselves and, and that's, uh, it really does mean something for us. Uh, ISHB is a uh, CMMI maturity level five uh, company which is unusual. Uh, most companies aren't only, uh, if they're certified in uh, CMMI, they only go up to a level three uh, we are five uh, for software development, and uh, that's part of the part of the things that we teach people when we're uh, doing our, our private instruction, if you will, for for lack of a better term, as opposed to the school's instruction. We have a set of, of, of activities that we teach, and uh, those things are are. Uh, are laid out for the students to to develop and, and process and learn during this period of time that we're that we're doing this this study uh, we're talking about the number of hours that they have to go uh, you know between every semester you don't have to go to school all during the summer and there's a lot of hours that you can be able to pick up during that time frame with each company it depends on the company uh, the company's requirements for what's being met but the the uh, Uh, hours being met also are the requirements of of the Department of Labor uh, Apprenticeship Program.
0: Yeah, and so that was the, for those listening catching the acronym there, Capability Maturity Model, Uh, Level 3 versus Level 5. You can look up on the Internet and find out more about that stuff. But, yeah, getting to Level 5 and running under uh, that setup and that process, not uh, something that you see out there very often. So, uh, buddy, I'm looking at some of the the curriculum on this, and – it, it seems uh, like there's a lot of programming for a, 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 a associate's degree. I mean, they're uh, going through uh, Java. They're going through C Sharp. They're covering mobile application programming. Um, as, as I think about uh, many of the associate's programs out there, you're busy um, spending most of your class time knocking out humanities requirements and other things for the associate's degree, but it looks like here – I would say from this curriculum more than half of it is specifically in that the software development and systems engineering kind of side of the world versus uh, just generic uh, uh, college-level algebra or uh, humanities classes.
1: It is. The very basic requirements uh, that SAC has for every student are met, but the majority of the, of the uh, requirements are, uh, if you will, uh, coordinated through SAC uh, by the companies to come up with this type of requ- requirements so that uh, it helps them begin to get the school level of, of programming and then we refine and mature it uh, during the apprenticeship process.
0: You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and I'm your host, Brett Pyatt. If you've just turned on uh, the program right now, you can listen to the rebroadcast and replay of this episode on Tuesday, October the 23rd. It'll go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. You can also listen to all of our past episodes uh, on there or on your favorite podcasting service. If you uh, do have a podcasting service you enjoy where you cannot find CyberTalk Radio, uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Let us know which podcasting service that is, we will get the content added to the service and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. One of the uh, episodes uh, that we've had uh, in the past, which will really relevant to today, is uh, Project Quest. Uh, We've had uh, David on from there uh, to talk about uh, what they're working on, how they're getting involved in cybersecurity, and uh, really the whole history of the 20 plus years of that organization uh, here to uh, build the uh, workforce and uh, help the folks in Bear County um, get access to uh, great jobs that are going to be um, here from now on uh, well into the future. Uh, so, Buddy, as, as you guys have, have run a couple of cohorts of this up now uh, in Illinois, uh, from there, even with uh, with Ishby, you guys have some success stories of these students at this point.
1: Oh, yeah. What, uh, our biggest success is the fact that, that uh, everybody who started finished. Uh, we had uh, We had three people that were work, worked with us during the uh, first cohort and they worked all the way through and, and uh, Not only gained their associates degrees uh, from Peoria College, but they also gained uh, uh, They graduated and were certified by DOL as being uh, uh, Print apprentice, uh, certified apprentices uh, the they also uh took the, C- the CERT test with SEI and the CLSSP test uh, under ISC Square and uh, have obtained those uh, certifi- certifications as well. So the dice part about it is is that uh, this is, a, like I said, a 2,000-hour uh, program, 1,000 hours of school, 1,000 hours of work. Uh, at, at about the 400-hour level, uh, after the first semester, if you will, uh, uh, maybe the into the mid into the second semester of, of a four-year uh, four-semester program, uh, these guys and gals were uh, uh, determined to be viable programmers who could do the work for us, and who we could uh, not have to just pay out of our pockets, but they were billable, and and uh, we found that that these guys. Uh, uh, are exceptional uh, up against uh, the normal intern that you would buy or hire to come out uh, while they're uh, working in a four-year degree program. Uh, the, uh, three, the three guys are, sh- are currently uh, working for uh, w- one for other companies, two for ISHB. Uh One's just taken a promotion and mo- to move uh, to the East Coast to work in one of the software programs we have. The other one is is still sitting uh, in, in Peoria looking for the place that he wants to move to because he wants to move out of Peoria. Uh, it's a good system. Uh, it, it shows we we are very sure that it works. And uh, we've talked a little bit about offline, about uh, numbers. Uh, the numbers are th- that there are going to be 3 million uh uh, by the year 2025, there's going to be three million vacancies in software writing, uh, and and that software writing needs to be secure software writing. For sure. Yeah, and we're just trying to establish programs here. Uh, we we actually have other programs that are in the in the infant to yeah the infant stage of being uh, of uh, being set up in uh, several different locations on the East Coast as well. So.
0: No, and uh, so you guys are going to be out at a uh, cybersecurity uh, kind of event and conference that's here at the Lock and Terra coming up in November.
1: Right, uh, Alamo Ace, Saffia's Alamo Ace, that uh, goes on the sixth and seventh of uh, November. Uh, Ishby will be in booth four, and so will the Success Program. Uh, which, the which, if you want to talk about it, is if you're an employer and you want to talk about uh, uh, thinking about coming into this program, uh, we'll be available to do that with you. If you want to talk, if you're a student and you want to talk about getting into this program, we'll be available to talk about that as well. Uh, we believe it's a great a great place that uh, to hold these types of conversations. And and thank you, to, we're doing very good. Uh, in addition, there's. Uh, The National Security for uh, the National Initiative for Cybersecurity. I knew I'd get it out sooner or later. Uh, That is uh, having a a conference here in town on the uh, third and fourth of December, and they have a a a sole leg of it for about apprenticeships. So if you're interested in knowing about uh, the NICE program and which is set up by uh, DOL uh, and DHS that, uh, you can come in and, and listen to that. And we're going to, Ishby will be at those locations as well.
0: Yeah. And, uh, for those looking to track this down, if you, uh, look for our post and recap of the program, we'll get links, uh, in there. Uh, so if you're driving, please don't try to write all this down while you're out there on the road, or don't even try to text messages to yourself, please, uh, stay safe. Uh, on the roads. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can always go back and rewind, uh, but we will get the uh, the links up uh, with the uh, episode recap uh, for folks uh, also. And, and buddy, I guess as we've been going through this, I've been out doing some talks on um, artificial intelligence and, and kind of where's it at and what's going on. And for those that have stuck with us through the full program, I think this will tie together and, and make it real clear why secure software development is so important. So, um, if you you look at, at artificial intelligence, and so it was uh, first brought up and talked about uh, back in the, the 1950s at Dartmouth, and they were really talking about uh, general artificial intelligence. So this is uh, building your your own uh, robot, um, whether it's Rosie the robot of the Jetsons uh, that can clean your house and do that sort of stuff, or whether it's Data who can be the, your, your uh, crew member of the Starship Enterprise, but uh, general artificial intelligence. And I think that's kind of what we think. About And that's what they first started talking about. And we've, we've realized uh, over the last uh, 70 years, general artificial intelligence is really hard. Um, so that the human brain, um, well, we may not all feel like we're smarter than computers, um, at just the, the raw processing power, the human brain does one exaflop. Uh, the world's uh, fastest supercomputer is a, a Department of Energy machine called Summit. Uh, it does 120. Uh, roughly 120 to 130 petaflops, uh, which is about one-eighth of one human brain. Uh, So now you go, well, there's stuff that that supercomputer can definitely calculate that my brain can't calculate. And for sure, uh, there are. But at the same time, your brain's doing all sorts of stuff all the time that we don't really give it credit for. So if you you think of just you've got your eyes open and you've got effectively a super high-resolution video feed coming into your head all the time, uh, if you're listening to us in the program right now, your ears are working, bringing things in. If you're um, sitting or standing or whatever else you're doing, you've got uh, your equilibrium. You've got um, the pressure sensors from your skin feeding up through to like you can tell where you're standing or where you're sitting for balance and uh, all sorts of different uh, data that's coming in too, And these are just the external things uh, that your brain is processing all the time. So the the human brain's got uh, quite a bit of potential and uh, we while, well, uh, we're working on artificial intelligence, we're not quite getting to the point where, uh, you can have a computer that can do all of the things a person can do. So, uh, now if we, we look at, at, some of the, the games and things out there. So, uh, 20 years ago now, uh, Well, 1997, 21 years ago, uh, we finally built a computer that could beat uh, the world's best chess player. So uh, IBM put together Deep Blue. Uh, It played Garry Kasparov uh, in a a chess competition and defeated uh, Garry Kasparov in that chess competition. And so you you look and go, okay, well, there were all these predictions after that 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 it's over. Um, If if computers can beat people at chess now, that's the end of humanity. Twenty years later, uh, humanity's not gone. Uh, And and the progression on artificial intelligence. So we went 20 years um, from chess up until uh, a project that uh, Google put together now um, about a year ago uh, called AlphaGo. Um, And AlphaGo plays the game Go, uh, which if if you've never played before or seen it, it's kind of black and white um, tokens on a board. Um, I'm going to call it a super advanced version of Connect 4. It's the easiest way to describe it. And so in, in chess, the way that... Uh, Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov, it was uh, going through computationally and, and it, it was able to think 20 moves in, ahead. Gary's only capable of thinking about eight. Oh, by the way, most of us playing chess, we can barely see the next move. So eight's really far out there. Uh, but in in Go, there's 10 to the 100th power number of potential moves uh, out there. So you can't go computationally figure out all the things in the future. Um and so from a computing power perspective, it took 20 years to go from chess to Go, and um, AlphaGo was able to beat Lee Sedol, uh, who's the, the world's, uh, one of the nine Don, one of the top level, uh, maybe the world's best Go player uh, at this point in time from a, a human perspective, and it was able to defeat him in this. And when Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov at chess, um, it did it in ways that were mostly predictable for the chess community, it just it played really well. Um, in one of the matches against Lee Sedol, uh, AlphaGo made a, a comp- move that no human would have made. No human that was an experienced player would have made. And everyone watching had thought that, well, the AI has totally lost this one. And then all of a sudden it wins. And, and this is one of the the interesting things. When you're writing computer software, if you're you're taking a spec and you're writing that spec and you're telling the computer to do a specific set of tasks, you get to know and control the outcomes. When we are teaching computers... Artificial intelligence, and these are, are very narrow AIs, they can play chess, they can play Go, um, they're going to end up doing things that are unpredictable in areas where we don't understand the behavior. So uh, now fast forward one year from that defeat of Lisa Dahl at Go, uh, and there's a, a, another research consortium out there called OpenAI, um, it's a, an open source and an open dialogue um, artificial intelligence community. And they're building a an AI to play a game called Dota Two, and you go, okay, well, good. The computer's have been playing video games like they, there's been bad guys in the video games all the time, uh, for forever. Um, but this this is a little bit different. So this is um, a game where there's global tournaments held. Um, there's games where the the winning team wins millions of dollars, and those players in these teams are not just kids um, hanging out after school playing video games. These are teams that practice, they rehearse, they have coaches. Uh, they have strategy advisors. They have uh, they're as orchestrated as a uh, any other professional sport team, and so they've been building uh, an AI to to play Dota two. And the the difference, if you go from chess, which is turn based and kind of very finite um, number of possible moves to go, which is still a turn based game, now you've got more moves than even any computer can compute at this point in time up to dota 2 which is a a complex uh resource and and war simulation i mean so you have to um mine resources to build your technology up to build your defenses up you um, then go launch offensive attacks you have different special superpowers you run in teams of five um on this so you have five players playing on a team matches will will run um for a substantial amount of time 30 minutes to an hour uh so it's not just uh, a, some super quick video game where boom things are just over um so there's lots of opportunities during the match for things to go ebb and flow back and forth um, and the ai uh, a year ago they were um, working on just one-on-one scrimmages uh, between heroes um, now this year the the open ai 5 they call it is playing at a very competitive level with the the world's top teams in dota 2 Um, so from a progression it took us 20 years for ai to go from winning at chess to winning at go it's going to take less than three years to go from winning at go to winning at a real-time strategy complex war simulation Um, so that this just the pace at which the ai is evolving is happening very quickly And uh, I know I've gone on a little bit of a long story to lay that context out but there's uh, a reason for this. So on the software development side of things, um, there's uh, lots of computers out there, uh, about 60 million physical servers um, and then Uh, depending on what you want to call a a computer. If you want to call an Android or iOS uh, device a computer, there's a billion of those. Uh, There's a a few hundred million, what what most of us would consider a typical kind of personal computer. Um, And the, the way that, you train an ai is you use computing resources and it you need to feed data into it and so for the good guys uh for us to do that you you've got to buy the computers you've got to plug them in in a data center you've got to pay the electricity bill you've got to do all those things the bad guys don't have to do that if they're able to hack into the computer then they can use your computer that you paid for they can use your electricity bill that you're going to pay for um, and they can use those resources to train their their ais so if we're out there writing software that is full of bugs and if we're writing software that allows for remote exploitation and for attackers to take control of systems, they're going to be able to use those systems to train their artificial intelligence attackers. Um, uh, and if you look at this and go, well, what's the, the big deal, uh, historically, um, the the bad guys have been vastly outnumbered by the good guys. Uh, There's a a small percentage of people that have low ethics or no ethics, and then there's most of us out there want to do the right thing every day um, and and show up and try to make the world a a better place instead of trying to uh, exploit the world for our own personal gain. If you, you get to the spot where the folks that are the bad guys have control of 100 million computers, um, those 100 million computers, if you just look at those, if say they cost $500 each, that's $50 billion worth of computing power. Um, if you, you look at the electricity bill at $25 a month to power each one of those computers, you're you're looking at more than a billion dollars um, in electricity bills every month. So if the, the bad guys are now able to control that much resources and be able to train their AI system with that much resources, there's a chance that the bad guys end up out ahead of us on the good guy side of things. So uh, for those of you out there going, well, yeah, man, maybe I should get involved in system administration to patch all the computers that are broken right now, that would be helpful as well. Uh, but um, as Buddy was saying, there's there's going to be 3 million jobs um, in software development, ideally secure software development uh, coming available here. Um, over the next decade, and so most of the world's software has not yet been written. Um, I mean, we might think we've written a lot of software, nothing to to where um, the amount of software that we will write over the the coming future years. So, if you can um, get in school now, learn how to to build and develop secure software, and uh, help us uh, kind of put a, a lid on this now, I think we we've got a good uh, chance to continue to. Um, have a spot where we live in a world where the good guys win and we're not controlled by Skynet. Uh, so uh, for, for those of you uh, that want to learn more uh, about this, um, I uh, frequently talk on this topic uh, at uh, uh, conferences um, in the San Antonio area and, and across the country. So um, look up my, my schedule and uh, we'll go into much more depth than I have here uh, on the radio in a few minutes. Um, But it's one that's fascinating. It's one where we're at this uh, tipping point right now. And uh, it's going to be on all of us to go out and kind of uh, do the right thing. uh, Because uh, if not, I don't like what some of these future sci-fi movies uh, end up looking like. Uh, The Matrix, I don't want to be in a pod with the, the robots controlling things. So. Uh, Thank you for uh, tuning in to uh, CyberTalk Radio Thank you for joining us this week buddy If uh, you just turned the radio on right now And you're now scared to death about all this AI stuff uh, Please go back and listen to the uh, Rebroadcast of this whole episode uh, www.cybertalkradio.com It'll go up on uh, Tuesday October the 23rd Uh, You'll understand about the apprenticeship program And uh, why we uh, wrap this up with a little bit of a a Teaser there of uh, What's the real mission and purpose If you're going to learn how to write secure software Why is it going to matter So thank you again, buddy, for joining us. And uh, thank you out there for listening to the audience. Thank you.